pray. Father in heaven, we come before you. We thank you for this precious Lord's Day. We sang about the victory in Jesus. We sang about salvation in Christ. Lord, we pray that you would lift our hearts to the heavens. Would you remind us the purpose of why we were created? You help us to pause, God, and not to think of Genesis as a Sunday school lesson for kids. But Lord, it's about how we view all things through Genesis. God, I pray you would help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The design of worship, the image of God, Genesis chapter 1. There is this connection of creation and worship. Creation leads man to worship. Uh, we've saw, we've seen the study of the worthiness of God in worship, that he is altogether thrice holy. But did you know that in the design of man himself, he was designed, simply stated, as the image of God to bring forth and exalt the glories of God in the face of Christ Jesus. We recall the words of Psalm chapter 8, I'll just read it for you. He says, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth, who has displayed thy splendor above the heavens from the mouth of infants and nursing babes. Thou hast established strength because of thine adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. Now notice as David pauses and he stops to consider creation, of which I think we need to as well. When I consider thy heavens... The work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. What is man that thou hast take thought of him? And the son of man that thou dost care for him. Yet thou hast made him a little lower than God and dost crown him with glory and majesty. Thou dost make him to rule over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. And then in the connection of af- after creation, David says, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. To understand worship apart from creation would not be to understand worship. We were made... To bring him glory. We reject our God-given identity as image bearers. Thus forfeiting our, forfeiting our ability to worship. Yet in Christ, brothers and sisters, we are redeemed. And are being changed to image forth his glory. Let me read the text. Genesis 1.26 After he created the heavens and the earth and he created all the crawling creatures, he says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish and the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth. Every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth, which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so, God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. God's Genesis account is given to you this morning, so that you would worship him as the redeemed image bearer of God that you are. I'll say it again. God's Genesis account is given to you this morning so that you would worship 
him as the redeemed image bearer of God that you are. Worship, as, as we've been working through this definition, is exalting God the Father through the person and work of Christ in the power of the Spirit by word, deed, thought, as a fundamental response to who God is and what he has done. In other words, worship is exalting God for who he is and what he has done as a response to all his mighty works. Now to worship God as the redeemed image bearer of God that you are, there are three aspects of the image of God you must understand. There are three image bearer. And, and I don't like to say this glibly and I'm not saying this in a, in a loose way. But the first point is your purpose designed, okay? Your purpose designed. We always talk about purpose. Uh, there's so many Facebook feeds and Instagram feeds of finding your purpose and the reason why you exist. I vouch to say and I submit to you that the very purpose you were made, I can say this to anyone, is to bring glory to God. That was why, that is why you were made. Now you could either go along with that or you could fight it and militate it, militate against it. But yet God's whole design for creation and you, brothers and sisters, I would say, the crown of creation, okay, is to bring him glory. Notice he says in Genesis 1.26, after he created the heavens and the earth, after he created all of the animals and the skies and the part, partition between the sea and the land, here's where we start. Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. We know there, he says us and our. We, we know he's speaking as a progressive revelation. The progressive nature of revelation. This is the triune God himself. We understand, understand that to be as Trinitarians. We know that this is God. There have been many, uh, there have been many scholars who have said, well, you know, this is, he's talking to his, as, as, as a plural form of majesty. No, we know this to be God speaking in counsel to one another. Let us make man in our image, us, our image. The word image means to, to shade something, to shadow something, to represent something. The word states man's unique Relation to creation. No other animal, no other creation is called the image of God. He says the word likeness. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. This is the resemblance to compare. It's, it's a model, it's a pattern, and it's most likely a combination of these two words put together to mean that which is his likeness, his pattern. Man is the apex of creation, a direct image bearer of God, made to display God's glory, ruling God's creation. And the question always comes. The question is obvious. If we are made to image forth the glory of God, then what is the image of God? We oftentimes just say it and then we don't even talk about it. We just keep going on. What is the image of God? And from the text, we're going to see that the image of God has three different aspects. Okay? So if you follow with me, the image of God first, man images forth God substantively. Okay? Substantively. What I mean by essentially. He says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. God, in his, in his record of who he is, man is a sentient being. That is, he is, he has a God consciousness. He has a self consciousness. He can think about himself. He has a world consciousness. 
He is inherently in his essence, when I say the essence, when I say substantively, when I say all of that, what that is, is the stuff that man is made out of. He is inherently different from all other creation. Man, secondly, man images forth God functionally. Functionally, right? So you have a substantively or the stuff or the essence. He is different inherently in his essence. He is different functionally. He images forth God functionally. Whereas the first would be man is sentient. The second would be man is a sovereign being. Verse 26b, he says, as part, as, the, as part of the image, God says, let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, and over all of the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And what he's saying is there, over the sky, over the sea, over the land. Verse 28, later on, he says, God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and to multiply. Fill the earth and to subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and over the birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Man was given not the absolute sovereignty over over the world. He was given, uh, under the umbrella of God's sovereignty, he was able to choose, he's able to decide, he's able to rule under the umbrella of God's sovereignty. He is truly God's vice regent. His subduing of the earth is to have an ordered and a productive yielding of creation for God's purposes. Because Because God made man in the image of God, substantively, man operates in world in the world as a sovereign functionally all of this will come we will see how is how does this come to pass with worship thirdly man images forth god relationally notice in verse 27 he says and god created man in his own image in the image of god he created him male and female he created them if man is sentient he is also a sovereign being he's also a social being he's able to have deep fellowship with god he's able to have deep fellowship with man animals do have some social aspect but they don't have this deep spiritual fellowship with one another notice he also defines what that looks like in verse 27 he says male and female he created them the familial aspect of man is godlike and distinctive human trait male and female he created them and notice he said God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. What is that image? Male and female, he created them. And so in the different genders and the different sexes, as we speak about these things, God himself is saying that I reveal my glory in the relationship here when we fulfill our God-given gender roles, which is normative in marriage. And so he says all these things. And then in God's pr- uh, pronouncement in verse 131, he says, And God saw all that he made, and behold, it was very good. There was evening, and there was morning. The sixth day. Notice he says, it was very good. He didn't say that about all creation. He just said that about man and woman being created. Now, as we see this, You think about this. The only creation, the only item of creation is man and woman that has the ability to have this kind of fellowship. The position of role and dominance in creation. The very essence and the stuff of mankind to be able to have those relationships and to be sociable and to understand each other. Here, as that, is, as that is made, God says that as we fulfill these roles, as God has made it, what happens is we get to image forth, we get to glorify, we get to exalt, we get to bring forth glory to God himself. 
So from the very beginning, from the very origin of who we are, you and I, brothers and sisters, were made to worship, to exalt God. But of course, there is a different story there. Notice there is your, pers- your purpose designed, your, your, your whole life, your thoughts, the way you have your family, the way you have relationships with people, the way you think about God and the world. Everything is encompassed in worship. Sometimes we think of, a, of worship as this small, tight definition of where uh, when we get together. Oh, we got to get worship done. We have to finish singing. We got worship is now done. No, brothers and sisters. Worship is all of life. And it was designed so from the beginning. But you know, the second part of this is, is your purpose ruined. In Genesis chapter 3, go to Genesis 3. We know the story. Notice how the serpent lies and deceives the woman. And he said to the woman, indeed, notice he causes doubt of God's word. Indeed, in verse 2, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Verse 2 and 3, the woman said to the serpent from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden. God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. So there is a doubt of God's word placed by the serpent. There's an addition of God's word. God never said you shall touch it and you will die. Just said if you will eat it, you will die. Verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you shall surely not die. And now there is a a denial of God's word. So it starts from a doubt of God's word, an addition to God's word, and then a denial of God's word. And he moves on and we know what happens. He takes, eats of the fruit. He switches the roles. He doesn't, he doesn't act as leader. He acts as follower. Notice, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They had it made. Man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then some of the most terrifying words of all the scripture. God himself says, Then the Lord God called to man and said to him, Where are you? Where are you? See, it's not that God didn't know where he was. He was talking to him at at his very core. Where are you in relationship to me? It's the same question he asks even mankind today. It's a frightening question. Where are you? And instead of repenting and confessing, man does what he does. He hides in his sin. I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. And instead of confessing and repenting and and reconciling, notice he says, verse 13, have you eaten, excuse me, 11, have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man says, he doesn't confess, he doesn't repent. He starts on This is our very first blame shifting here. Okay. It wasn't me. It was the woman you gave me. It's not me. It's this wife. Who ultimately is blaming God. Because he says it's it's the woman you gave me. Do you understand? Why aren't you fulfilling your role as a man? Why aren't you fulfilling your role in my created order that I gave you? Why aren't you fulfilling your role in having sweet fellowship with me? Well, it's because of the woman you gave me. And downward spiral, we know humanity goes down the tubes here. 
What is it that you've done? And we move on to God's pronouncement. He curses the serpent. In verse 15, he says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. There we have the seeds of the gospel, the proto-evangelion, we say. And then we see the curses. To the woman, he will greatly multiply pain. Verse 17, because you have listened to the wife of your voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree rather than what God has said cursed is the ground so we understand this now he has to work for a living whereas before he worked for enjoyment now his very life his very life is dependent on him working and working the ground we understand what happens later on verse 24 this words he drove the man the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life man was banished and he was banished forever from the garden because of his sin he was banished for true uh, he was banished from true fellowship with God he was banished to do the very purpose by which he was created it's amazing He ruined it. And you know, he ruined it for us too. He acted corporately for us. We know that later on, we understand as Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, this sin nature that has separated us from God affected our minds, our hearts, and our wills. In Ephesians 4, 17, it says, Therefore I say and affirm together with the Lord that you no walk, walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. And then he discusses what has happened to them essentially. Remember that the essence of man, substantively, what he is made out of, made his, his mind, his heart, was made, was perfectly attuned to God to image forth his glory. And now in Ephesians 4, we see how it is damaged, how it is ruined. He says, they walk in the futility of their mind, literally the waste of their mind. Their thoughts do not think the thoughts of God. You ever tried debating someone who wants to justify their evil? They have all these reasons. They're walking in the futility of their mind. Being darkened in their understanding. Excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Because of the hardness of their heart. Not only is their understanding darkened. But the heart doesn't want to know. It's not just that you don't understand things about God. You misinterpret him. You think evil of him. And because of that, your heart has emotions about it. And this is why many friends, I might have many friends, as I talk to them, they're nice about all these other things. They're kind about all these other things. But when I talk to them about God and about uh, forgiveness in Jesus Christ, then all of a sudden that niceness and that kindness dries up. Why? Because their hearts are hard. And it is not simply a lack of understanding, brothers and sisters. It is a heart that hates God that stems all the way to Genesis. And so creatures who have been uniquely created for worship have now been tainted in their hearts, minds, and souls. Functionally, man is distorted by sin. Relationally, man is distorted by sin. This tells us about our sin in our relationships and our sin in our roles. But make no mistake, the greatest evils and the ills of our society all stem, all stem from a rejection of God's created order. Particularly to his highest creation, man himself. Rather than imaging forth the glories and the excellencies of God, 
man rejects his role as a God worshiper and exchanges it for an idol worshiper. Idol meaning anything, anything including self over God. So when folks say that the Bible, particularly the Genesis record, has no relevance for today because man is modern, because man is sophisticated, because man is forward thinking, they could not be more wrong. Brothers and sisters, I will argue to you that the greatest ills and the evils in our society is because man rejects the his own role as the image bearer of God. Notice the rejection of the substantive aspect of the image of God or the essence. We're reading a book on um, critical race theory for leadership and intersectionality and how it seeks to undercut the gospel. Uh, It redefines what the gospel is. It redefines what Uh, reconciliation is and it redefines um, uh, how to get out of that. But even in that, I was was just, I read this portion and this statistic that uh, Vadi Bauckham shared in his book and I was just struck. I knew about about it but I was just struck. Just think about, just let's just take the, the wickedness of the murder of abortion. Especially, particularly in the black community. Vadi writes, Planned Parenthood founder Margaret Sanger started what became known as the Negro Project in order to reduce the black population through birth control. Not many people know this, but Planned Parenthood was started by a woman who wanted to reduce the black population. Sanger was a eugenicist. She was a proud eugenicist who believed black and brown people were inherently inferior. Her first achievement among the black community came in 1923 when she opened a clinic in Harlem where she hired African-American doctors, nurses, and an all-black advisory council to help her clients feel more at ease and more inclined to listen to her birth control propaganda. She also relied on a black clergy to advance her message. Fifteen and a half black million black babies, listen to this, fifteen and a half, fifteen and a half million black babies have been aborted since 1973. That means abortion is not only the leading cause of death among black Americans, but it has taken more black lives than Heart disease, more than cancer, accidents, violent crime, and AIDS combined. Though black women make up only 13% of the population, they account for 35% of all abortions. In major cities like New York, Philadelphia, and Los Angeles, more black babies are aborted than born. Black or white baby for that matter... The reason why, can I tell you this, okay? The reason why is because they do not see, as Sanger did not see when she started Planned Parenthood, she did not see black or brown babies. Um, she She saw them substantively different than her. She did not receive them as the image of God bearers that they were. In fact, if they, to her, in her mind, if they were not the image of God, there is no sanctity of life to protect. Do you understand? This is connected, brothers and sisters, to our war with God. You think it's just the left coming. You think it's, it's one political party doing something. This is war with God. This is man rejecting the very role that God has made him as vice regent of all creation to love and to live and to glorify God in his relationships. 
And yet because they reject the image of God as one example. Margaret Sanger was a eugenicist. Black and brown folks were inferior. It's very similar to Nazi Germany. They were eugenicists as well. Eugenicists were based on evolution, which is a wholesale rejection of God's created order. You think it's simply, you think it's simply, oh, oh, it's okay if they learn this this in the schools. What it is doing, it is undercutting the very fabric of who we are. It is a rejection. Notice uh, a rejection of the functional aspect of the image of God. Just one example. I'm just giving you concrete examples for you guys to, to understand how it's all connected. Rather than stewarding creation, folks worship creation. You could just ask Manny and Encinitas. You could just ask them how they worship the ocean and how th- there's this, this is not this, uh, oh, we need to steward the ocean. We worship the ocean. We are one with the earth. There is no understanding that they are vice regents, image bearers of God, above creation, yet created themselves. This is why you will have someone risk their life for a whale and not for a baby. Now, on the outside, we would look at that and just say, that's insanity. And it is. It is insanity because man has cast off what God has created him for. The very essence of what he has created him for. And that is worship. A rejection of the social aspect of the image of God. There's no fellowship with the real God of the Bible through Christ. False works, it created a false works based religions and even from all of history, from ancient Near East religions of stories of Marduk and Utnapushnim to Greek mythology to Norse mythology to Buddhism to animism to Hinduism to Islam, all through history it is man's blind attempt to seek after God on his own terms rather than God on his terms. It is man's banishment from the garden and he's seeking to assuage his own conscience. And it is distorted relationships with each other. Look at Genesis 1. Very clear. As clear as can be. Genesis 1.27 he says. God created man in his image. In the image of God he created a male and female he created them. Go to chapter 2, 23, 24. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. There is no greater, brothers and sisters, there's no greater example of man rejecting God-designed gender roles than in the LGBTQIA+. Community. This is a rejection of Genesis 1. Please understand that. It's not just preference. It's not sexual orientation. It's not people seeking and finding themselves. It is a rejection. It is war against God. The LGBTQIA legend, uh, 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 agenda, excuse me, is an is in the entertainment, it's in news, it's in pop culture, it's in your colleges. It is pushed in legislation. Many of you have loved ones who have adoptive, ad- adopted this deceptive and destructive worldview. In 1955, sexologist Joan Money, John Money introduced a distinction between sex and gender as a role. And you hear enlightened college students say it, they parrot their professors all the time. Sex has nothing to do with gender. Or gender is a spectrum, not binary. Many folks would now describe their gender as non-binary. And to date, 
to date, you guys will probably see other works on this, but to date, there are supposedly over 72 genders, including male, female, transgender, gender neutral, non-binary, agender, pangender, genderqueer, two-spirit, three-gender, over, over, you could keep going. And there are over 46 different sexual orientations. So to them, what are they, uh, a gender is what I identify as and the sexual orientation is what I am attracted to. To them, there are 40 diff- 42 different ways. Bicurious, bisexual, fluid, demisexual, gay, graysexual, homosexual, pansexual, and on and on and on and on. And at the very heart of it is man's rejection of the beautiful design God has for him. And sadly, rejecting God, rejecting God, rejecting what he says so clearly. LGBT youth are five times more likely to attempt suicide than heterosexuals. 92% of transgender individuals report having attempted suicide before the age of 25. And on and on and on. And the community would have you believe it's because the lifestyle is not accepted. Brothers and sisters, I submit to you, it is not that. It is because they are rejecting God. They are rejecting his design. And they are guilty. And they know it. And in verse 127... In the clearest terms, God says, God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. It's a sad reality. They're fighting the obvious created role that God has made them in. They're essentially saying... This is what they're saying. I am not what I was created to be. This poor individual is then fed the lie. Along attached with his or her sin. That sexuality or gender is simply a preference. Rather than a beautiful unchangeable design of God. Rather than imaging for the glory of God. In his waywardness, lostness, and rebellion, he or she actually convinces himself or herself that sexuality and gender are malleable and depression sets in because they are not fighting societal norms, brothers and sisters. They are fighting God himself. I am not who I really am. This is fundamentally insanity against the wisdom, plan, and kindness of God. No doubt about it. Man has been at war with God and has wanted to destroy his created design since the fall. But lest you believe that you would never fight God's created order, let me tell you this. I've given you the most extremes of examples. But lest you believe this... When you tear down, just to think about this, when you tear down, treat cruelly your brother, sister, spouse, you at that moment are not recognizing that other person as an image bearer of God. When you idolize your body either by overemphasis of gym workouts or bulimia or anorexia, you are no longer functionally stewarding your body but idolizing it. You've crossed over. So, when you look at porn or you sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend whom you're not married to, you reject the relational aspect that God has created in the image and the image of God from the other person. And you defile yourself and you reject Genesis 1, 27 and chapter 2 about marriage. So what hope is there for us? There was our, our purpose was designed to worship him. Our purpose was distorted or soiled. But here's the wonderful thing that we will celebrate today in communion is that your purpose is redeemed. Your purpose is redeemed. You can come from any background, brothers and sisters. From the most sexually perverse 
to the most moral family? To the most American moral apple pie, uh, Yankee doodle family that still needs Christ? Your purpose can be redeemed. And it starts, brothers and sisters, it starts again with the perfect image of God. Go to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Now this image of God is not a likeness of God. Notice Christ himself is never discussed as a likeness of God. Notice how the language changes when we're speaking about Christ himself. In Hebrews chapter 1, it begins with the perfect image of God. Notice he says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, notice, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, for whom also he made the world. Notice verse 3. He is the radiance of his glory. What does that mean? The showing forth of the excellencies of God. He is the disco ball of the light. You know what I'm saying? When you shine the light on a disco ball and it goes everywhere. He makes us see the beauty and the wonder and the majesty and the design and the and the kindness of the Father. He lets us see that in real terms. How? He is the exact representation of his nature. Notice, it is not likeness. Christ himself, people say, I want to know more about God. You want to know more about God? You need to know more about Christ. The more you know Christ, the more you know God. The more you know what Christ hates, the more you know what God hates. The more you know what Christ loves, the more you know what God loves. He is the exact representation of his nature. He upholds all things by the word of his power and this is unique to the Son. God himself sent the Son to do this, but this is unique to the Son. He made purification for our sins, brothers and sisters. He sat down at the right hand of God on the majesty on high. And what does this mean? That the image of God that is distorted in you, the image of God that is tainted in you, the image of God that is... That is uh, spoiled and soiled in you has now been renewed in Christ by making purification of sins and he starts this process brothers and sisters if you are a Christian today praise the Lord this is the process that God has started in you If you're not a Christian, maybe your parents forced you to be here. Maybe you are here as an invitation from a neighbor. I'm glad you're here. But this begins when you understand that God did create us for this purpose. We are made to image forth his glory. We have sinned and have been separated from God. There is no hope for us unless Christ makes purification for sins. And he did on the cross. He, he lived. He died. He was buried. He was resurrection. He resurrected. And the Bible says if we believe in him, if we trust in him, we will be saved. And that is not all, folks, brothers and sisters. What happens then is when you receive Christ, you are given the new birth, the regeneration, and now the image of man that is in you has been renewed, has been brought back, and the wonder and the glory of worship in your life now is this, that every day you walk with Christ, every opportunity that you have, every trial that you have, Christ uses to make more like him. He is taking the damaged image of the garden and renewing it to perfection until you are with him in glory. What Adam ruined in the first image of God, the perfect image of God completely renews and restores. This is why we don't have to be enslaved to our sin anymore. Now notice, this is not 
simply what folks would say is the meta-narrative between the scriptures. It is in clear black and white. Look at 2 Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians 3. Second Corinthians chapter 3. How does he do this? Notice in verse 18. Notice the language. Paul is bringing us back to the garden. In verse 18, we all with unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord. Notice, as we walk with Christ, we look at what Christ is like. We're being transformed, notice, into the what? The same image. What image? The perfect image of Christ. So as many days as you have on this earth, God himself says that he is transforming you day by day from glory to glory to become more like him. This is the paradise that was lost. This is paradise regained. Notice in Colossians chapter 3. Look at Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 8. Paul again. He's going to use the Genesis language. Okay. Put them all aside. Anger. Wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Don't lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Old self, you hear the language. That's the old self. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed, what? To a true knowledge according to what? To the image of the one who created him. You know, sometimes I look at the mirror and I go, man, I'm not looking any younger. Oh, boy. And Chan and I go, oh, we're getting older, honey. And yet the Bible says that our souls, can you imagine this? We are becoming more and more like what we were designed to be. You want to know your mission in life? It's much higher than what any employer, what any business will give you. Your mission in life is to glorify the one who created you. Look at uh, my favorite one on this. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We usually think that this is just a suffering verse. I just want to go here because it's a suffering verse and I need some encouraging. I don't know anyone who goes there when they're not suffering, right? They go to Romans 8, 28. But you have to watch. Look at what's happening here, okay? What is, the in, what is, what is Paul doing to give you encouragement? What is he saying? What is he teaching? He says in Romans 8.28, we know that God causes all things to work for good to those who love them. You could insert any trial, brothers and sisters, whatever you're going through. Any hardship, any disappointment, any break in relationship, any results from your own sin, consequences from your own sin, and now you're learning from it. You've confessed and repented. The Bible says God causes all things to work together for the good. He doesn't say that all things are good. He says that all things, he can weave it for the good. And what is his purpose for those whom he foreknew? He also what? Predestined to be conformed to what? The image of his son. And then we know the, the rest as good reformed people 
predestined, called, justified, glorified. We understand all of that, the golden chain of redemption. But notice in the redemption of God, he is going to reverse every aspect of sin. Everything. All your problems with relationships, he will reverse. All your problems with uh, taking on the role as, 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 and, and, and the position of where you're supposed to be in your role as a man or a woman, he will reverse and he will fix and he will help you. He will reverse it all. And praise the Lord, it's not just the future thing we have to look forward to. It's now. He's changing us now. He's making us more apt, more able, more understanding by transforming our mind how to worship him. Brothers and sisters, you should not judge a worship session. Can I say that? Don't judge a worship session by the feelings you feel, by the smoke that comes out of the air conditioner, by the gold sprinkles that come out, by the purple lights that shine, brothers and sisters. It is by what truth is now transforming your mind and how are you responding to that truth because God has allowed you to understand it. And now, how is your life going to change because of it? That is true worship, brothers and sisters. In Revelation 4, the angels are singing in verse 11. Worthy art thou, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou did create all things, and because of thy will they existed and were created. You were made for the high purpose of worship. Amen. Father, we thank you. Help us to worship you. Help us to remember the communion. Help us to remember what bridged the gap and what brought us back, your prodigals. You now invite us to your garden. You invite us to your table. We are prodigals. We were wanderers, God. We made up our own morality. We made up our own God in our minds. You brought us to our right minds. You've given us your word. You've transformed our hearts. Continue to do your work in your people. Make us more Christ-like. Help us, God, in this world that hates you. Help us to share Christ. Help us to love people, to have pity, to have mercy on those who are ruining their lives, God. Not to pass judgment, but to love them, to show them Christ. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.